Grace and mercy and peace belong to you. From God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Queen Elizabeth, over these past seven days and more, if you've been near any television or internet or, or print media, you have probably learned more about Queen Elizabeth than you realized was available to know. When Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth, Harry Truman was President of the United States. When Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth, the Prime Minister of Great Britain was Winston Churchill. When Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth, England was still staggering from shortages suffered because of World War II. When Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth, televisions were a rare novelty. When Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth, there was no such thing as a space program. The skies were quiet. And when Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth, Elvis Presley, rock and roll, nobody had ever heard such a name or such a term. Over the 70 years of her reign, Queen Elizabeth visited 117 countries in state visits. Her, her travel was so extensive that if you were to take all of her travel miles and just have her circle around the circumference of the globe, she would have circled the globe 42 times. Over her reign in Great Britain, she worked with 15 prime ministers. 15. And each and every year, she personally, personally met thousands and thousands of people, all the while surrounded by pomp and circumstance and and uniformed guards and roaring crowds and the, and the booming of guns. Now that she has passed, those who have worked very closely with her have begun to share some things about her. And at least according to the reports that keep coming up, one of the characteristics that they consistently bring up is a characteristic that might, that might surprise us, a characteristic that is often brought up about her is her sense of humility. Humility. How, how could humility even show itself amongst all this pageantry and palaces and pomp and circumstance and uniformed soldiers and the roaring of guns and salute 
Well, those who worked closely with her are quick to point out that the queen, according to them, always understood that all of this was not about her. Rather, it was about simply the position she represented. Humility. Humility can often show itself in the most unusual of places. And thank God for it, especially as we let God's Word speak to us for the next few moments from Luke chapter 14. Here's the setting for Luke chapter 14. Over these past several weeks, we've been following Jesus as he's been methodically working his way south for the last time to Jerusalem for his appointment with the cross to wash our sins away. In this setting, he's still up in the north country, up in Galilee, when a prominent religious leader, a Pharisee, invites Jesus to dinner at his house with a whole bunch of other religious leaders, a whole bunch of other Pharisees. But please understand, this invitation was not offered in friendliness or courtesy or friendship. Luke records that when he arrived, all the Pharisees were watching him carefully, and, 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 and the Greek here in the Greek text suggests that they were watching him kind of with an insidious intent. They were trying to catch him doing something wrong so that they could get rid of him. Well, Jesus, as he was settling in, he, he noticed that as these Pharisees were settling in for dinner, that uh, they took all the places of honor closest to the, to the main prominent host of the meal. And, and so Luke records that Jesus told a parable, told a short little story to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. And he said to them this, he said, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. How embarrassing that would be. You presume that you get to sit in a place of honor, and then the host of the wedding banquet comes a little bit later and says, I'm sorry, you need to move to a lower place. Someone more important is here. How embarrassing and humiliating that would be. Jesus continues. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then as a result, you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And, and then after Jesus tells this short little parable... He rounds it out by saying something significant. He says this, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that when Jesus is telling this little story, this parable, to these Pharisees, he's not simply choosing to give them some etiquette tips 
for the next time they are invited to a wedding so that they can avoid some, some social embarrassment. He's speaking to them about something far bigger, and he's speaking to us about something far bigger. He's talking to them and to you and me about our attitude in our relationship with God. Remember what he said in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You and I, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, each of us has, has this sinful genius, this sinful knack for looking at whatever's going on in our life and, and making it about us. I know I have that knack as a broken sinner. And if you ever doubt that, perhaps you're familiar with the old uh, photograph test. Some of you may know about the old photograph test. If somebody hands you a photograph of a group picture and you happen to be in that group, oh, humble person, selfless person, where do your eyes go first? I know where mine go. Mine go to my picture. And if, I, if that's a good picture of me, well, that's a, then it's a good picture. doesn't matter what anybody else looks like. Also in my sinful brokenness and my self-absorption, I also have this knack of trying to broadcast and highlight any strengths that I have and to hide and to downplay and to bury any weaknesses in my effort to sell myself to the people around me. That's part of my old sinful nature. The problem can get Serious when that slips into my relationship with God. When I begin to think that if I just keep up playing my, my strengths and, and downplaying and burying and ignoring my sinful weaknesses, that, that maybe I can convince myself that, oh, I'm not the best person in the world, but I'm okay. And if I'm okay, then my urgency for my relationship with Jesus maybe isn't as urgent as it could be. Sure, I'm glad that I have Jesus for the end of my life and, and I can get serious about him so that I make sure I go to heaven, but for the time being, I'm okay and I can spend my time and my energy on other things and other interests and other things that are just more urgent. And such thinking on my part, I do to the eternal peril of my soul. Thank God that humility shows itself in the most unusual of places. God, God the Son, humbled himself and came here. 
He became one of us and walked among us. And as he did, he demonstrated perfect humility. As he walked among us, it was never about him. It was always about us. Always about you and me. It was never about him. It was always about him trusting his heavenly Father's will, even when his heavenly Father's will included Jesus going to the cross to wash away all of our sins of sinful self-absorption. So that now, through Spirit-created faith in our living Savior, we are cleansed and we are forgiven. And God has blanketed us in, in the perfect humility that Jesus has lived on our behalf. How do you and I respond to such a God who has humbled himself for you and me? There's a writer by the name of Philip Brooks, Philip Brooks, who, who talked about the concept of humility and one of the things he said seemed to capture an important piece of it. I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said this, humility is not artificially scrunching yourself up to act humble and to, to curl up into a ball so that you are smaller than you are. Rather, humility is standing as you are but you compare yourself to the one who is far, far greater. President Teddy Roosevelt loved the out of doors, loved to go camping. <clears throat> he had a habit when he went out camping that at the end of the day, he would go out away from any lights, and if the sky was clear and he knew some astronomy, he would identify a, a, a small fuzzy dot of light. looked like a star in the night sky. However, he knew some astronomy, so he would point out to those who were camping with him, he would announce to them, that is the... Andromeda galaxy. That's the nearest galaxy to our own. And he, he would typically say this every night. He would say, there is the Andromeda galaxy. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own. And then with that, with a great big smile on his face, Teddy Roosevelt would say, now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. And he would. Brothers and sisters, the God who created all of that humbled himself and went to a cross. in light of what he has done for us and to his glory. Be humble, you and I, 
Be humble. Not in the sense of thinking less of ourselves, but humble in the sense of thinking of ourselves less. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.